Our scripture lessons this morning as we gather on this 20th Sunday after Pentecost, for those who will worship with us later, the lessons come to us from the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah chapter 14 verses 1 through 22, Psalm 84 verses 1 through 12, the New Testament epistle of 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 6 through 18, and Luke's gospel chapter 18 verses 9 through 14. Well, as we begin this morning, I have a very important question to ask you. What would you do if you knew that you only had a few days or perhaps a week or two to live? What would you do if you knew that your life on this earth was quickly coming to an end? This is the situation that the Apostle Paul faces as he writes to Timothy in our epistle today. Pastor John alluded to this last week. Paul knows that his death is imminent. And so he begins to do probably what all of us would do. He begins to take stock of his life and his work. And he prepares to let go of this earthly life and enter into the higher life of heaven. He says to Timothy... I am already on the point of being sacrificed. Other translations say here, I am already being poured out like a drink offering. Paul's choice of words here is interesting. A drink offering. What in the world is he talking about? Well, you may remember that Paul was a Roman citizen, and in the Roman culture, at the end of a Roman meal, The custom was usually to pour a cup of wine onto the ground or to the floor of the house as an offering to the gods, as if allowing the gods to drink with you as well. And from the Jewish perspective, you know that it was customary and was the practice in the temple when a sacrifice was done, when a burnt offering was offered upon the altar, following the burnt offering, wine would be poured out onto the altar of sacrifice. So Paul is saying to Timothy here, my life has been an offering to God. I'm I'm about ready to be poured out for the sake of the gospel. The famous poet T.S. Eliot once said that we measure out our lives in coffee spoons We give our lives away a little bit at a time. But Paul did not get that memo. For Paul, the cup was turned entirely upside down. He was all in. His whole life was an offering. His whole life was poured out. There was no part of his life that was held back or kept from God. Paul sees his life as modeled after Jesus' life. Remember what Paul writes to the Philippians. Jesus, even though he was God, he emptied himself and took the form of a servant. And true life follows the same pattern, which, by the way, is the complete opposite of what our culture tells us. The great lie of our culture is this, that I'm an empty vessel and I need filled up. You're an empty vessel and you need filled up. If you just get more money, more status, more pleasure, more whatever, 
then you'll be happy and you'll be fulfilled. But that actually leads to unhappiness. Paul knows firsthand that the good life is not about being filled up. The good life, the life that God desires for us, is about being emptied out. Paul knows firsthand that the only things that you will take with you into heaven are the things that you have given away here on earth. And then Paul continues his words to Timothy here, and he says, the time of my departure has come. The word departure here in the original is very fascinating. It can mean the loosening of the ropes of a tent, which is quite ironic and appropriate given the fact that Paul himself was what? He was a tent maker, right? He is saying, all right, the time is at hand. On this particular tent, the ropes are being loosed. It's about ready to, the whole thing's about ready to come down. But the word can also mean the loosening of the moors of a ship. Think of a great ship that is tied up and secured in port. And it's preparing for a great journey, right? Supplies are being loaded on, and everything that is needed for this great journey is being done in preparation. And then at some point, the moors of the ship are loosened so that the ship can take that journey. Paul says of his life, that's what's happening. The time has come. The moors are being loosened. His ship is ready to sail. He's now ready for his real journey to begin, his journey toward eternity. I think Paul reminds us here that, in a sense, our whole life is about preparation, isn't it, brothers and sisters? We should spend our time and energy stocking our little ships with spiritual supplies and all that is necessary for that time when the moorings will be cut loose and we make the trip to our final destination. You know, if you truly believe that one day you will meet God, why would you not spend your entire life preparing for that moment? And finally, Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I think Paul must have been an athlete, or at the very least, he must have really enjoyed watching athletic games because he uses these metaphors so often in his writings. He says here, I have kept the faith. In Paul's day, during athletic games of all, of all sorts, before the games would begin, they would call all of the competitors together, and all of the competitors in the games were required to take an oath. They were required to swear and to say that they would not cheat. Paul tells Timothy here that he has emptied himself and has invested his life in others, and he has not cheated. He has not taken shortcuts. He has not taken the easy way out. Because in the end, he says, faith is what ultimately matters. Paul counted everything else in life as rubbish when compared to knowing Christ and living by faith in him. And he says, I have not taken shortcuts. I have not cheated. I have competed faithfully. And Paul also tells Timothy here, I have fought the good fight. You know, when you, <clears throat> when you read about Paul's life, you go back to the Acts of the Apostles and elsewhere, and you read about Paul's life and experience, one thing becomes rather clear, and that was that Paul was a fighter. <laughs> he was a fighter. 
Think about what he faced after Christ hunted him down on the road to Damascus and changed his life. Think about what Paul faced. Shipwrecks, imprisonments, beatings, stonings, bitter and hostile opposition. And ultimately, of course, we know he was taken to Rome where he was martyred for his faith. Once Paul stepped into the ring for Jesus, there were many times when he was knocked down. But as he tells the Corinthians, he was never knocked out. By God's grace, he always got back up. What an amazing servant of Christ. I have fought the good fight, he says. And then he tells Timothy, I have finished my race. I was thinking this week about how the beginning of a race can be so exciting and thrilling and just full of uh, adrenaline and emotion. When Connie and I lived in Kentucky, it, we couldn't help but become a little bit interested in the thoroughbred horse racing industry, of course. And so every year, the first part of May, we would watch the Kentucky Derby on television. And it was just an amazing thing when those horses are Loading, loading into the starting gate, and they're all in. Just the, the emotion and the thrill at the beginning of this race that you know is only going to last for about two minutes. But, and then when the horses, when the gates are open, and the announcer says, and they're off, it's like this excitement is there at the beginning of that race. And then a few years later, we lived close enough to where we had to make a lot of trips to Indianapolis. And every time we would, on the way into the hospital in downtown Indianapolis, we drove right by the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, home of the Indianapolis 500. And I remember again the beginning of that race, how you have 30 or more high-powered Formula One cars circling around the track, gaining speed, and as they come around that final turn, getting ready, to make their way toward the starting line where the man in the tower with the green flag will signal the start of that race and they come around that race ultimately to where they're driving 230 miles an hour and in the beginning of that race it's just euphoria almost. The beginning of a race can be really exciting. When I watch the Olympics, the Summer Olympics, I look forward to like the 100 meter, the finals of the 100 meter dash. And all of the runners are there and they're kneeling down, getting into the blocks and it gets so quiet you can almost hear a pin drop. And when the gun sounds and they explode out of the blocks at the beginning of that race, you can just feel the emotion. It's exciting. Easy to begin a race. But in a marathon or in a longer race, the euphoria and the start of the race quickly fades and the runners have to settle in for the long haul. Very easy to begin, but staying in that long race can be a bit more difficult. And at some point, runners grow very tired and weary. And then at some point, sometimes they catch a second wind and they keep going. But then at some point, the runners face that dreaded moment that we all know about, right? In the long race, in the marathon. They face that place where they get so tired that they, what do they call it? We hit the wall, right? Where they're literally so exhausted, they literally cannot go on. 
I think Paul reminds Timothy here that the Christian life is a race that shares these very same features as the marathon. Very easy to begin the journey, easy to make a start with Christ, but inevitably at some point the road gets rough. There is opposition from within and from without. Opposition mounts. The enemy fights us. We grow weary. And at some point, we may even hit the spiritual wall. We don't know how to go on. I don't know where you might be in your spiritual race today. But wherever you may be, I think it's entirely possible that some may be here today or listening through the stream and you might be tired. Your body and your mind have worn out. Your strength is waning. May I just join with the Apostle Paul this morning and say to you with all of the compassion and empathy and sensitivity that I can muster, finish your race. Don't give up. Do not give in. I'm impressed here that Paul said he finished the race. He didn't say that he won the race. He just said, I've finished. And in the Christian race of life, in the race of faith, to finish is to win. And the God that gave Paul what he needed to finish his race is the same God who comes to us today in the bread and in the wine. It's the same God who grants us the strength that we need to keep running, to keep fighting, and to finish. As Paul said to the Philippians on another occasion, he who began a good work in you is faithful and he will bring it to completion. He will finish what he started in you as you stay in there and run your race. This promise is spoken to us today, concretely, in the sacrament. And so come with faith and receive the grace that he offers you. And then do me a big favor. Finish your race. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.